Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode 53. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 53. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. So I was reading a blog on the internet today, and it kind of hit me, it, it, it hit me a little bit kind of weird, and then I thought, well, I'm just going to go... St- do some research and, and do some homework here on my own. Well, the, the assertion of this particular blog post was that as Jesus told us that the most important thing to do was to seek his kingdom. And I heard that and I thought, nah, I think I've heard Greg say more times than I can count, you know, the greatest commandment is, and I think it's, well, it's in Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And then reading the footnotes there, I'm reading out the NIV. I went to a commentary and the commentary said, well, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 6.5. Mm-hmm. So I looked that up in the Bible. I looked that up in a commentary and it was the same... Um, so the passage from Deuteronomy 5 says, or, or starting in 6-4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you, are, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So when you t- when you talk about love, it's always, I would say, I want to say always, maybe that's not true. I always hear it in the context of love almost in this like infatuation type, just carried away, just... Uh, high intensity, you know, feeling emotion. Okay. And I also have heard you said, well, and you can't command something like that. In other words, you usually love someone or something out of something that's happened to you or some experience that you've had of that person. And so as I read this passage, it seems to me that it's a command to love. Mm-hmm. So what do you do with that? What is is God commanding people to love him? And if so, what does that look like? Is that what's really going on in this passage? And I'm, I haven't done a ton of work. I've looked in my little commentary here, but I'm wondering if you can put a little more color around that. Yeah, and when you say this passage, you mean, are you talking about the passages in Deuteronomy, or are you talking about... I'm kind of talking about both. Both, Cause, okay. Because I think, I think most people would, would look at this, and, you know, the Bible says, it's a commandment, you must do it, it's not optional, God commands us to love. 
You must do it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so many things to say. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for, for kind of characterizing how you've been perceiving it when I've been explaining kind of this uh, emphasis on love. And I, I guess on the one hand, yeah, the, the feeling is there. Um, and on the other hand, like, I, I guess, I, I think there's a, there, to my mind, there has, there is, there exists a big, 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 big mix up when it comes to love. And, and there seems to be a big, uh, a strong need on the part of a lot of Christians to, um, argue for, the fact that love is something we do and not something we feel. And so, on the one hand, I would agree by saying something like, you know, love is as love does. You can't come along and, you know, mistreat me, abuse me, beat me up and say you love me. Now, you know, I, I'm going to back out of that one too at the same time and say it's a little more complicated than that, right? But I will say in general, so I know from my own situation, for example, um, coming from an abusive family with an abusive father, um, did my dad love me? Yes, he did. I believe he did. I mean, it's, it's hard to know what, what's sort of going on in some, somebody's head, but I think so. Um, was he abusive to me? Yes, he was. Was that abuse, was that act of love? No. So was he like loving me when he wasn't abusing me? And yet when, only when he was abusing me, was he not loving me? Uh I think it's a little more complicated than that. I, I guess what I'm trying to get at in terms of, to answer your, to kind of reply to your first question, I think what I am doing is I'm pushing back. I'm pushing back really hard against people who would say, love is something you do. And it starts there. Or there may be some feelings involved, but really those feelings aren't that important. What's important is what you do with it. And I would say, no. Both are very important. I want both. I want feelings and actions. Love is, you know, it's, it's, it, it is an emotional response. It is something that comes out of us. It's something that can be awakened or dimmed or whatever. Um, so I guess there's one point just to kind of touch off on that comment that you made. In terms of the passages, there are three in the New Testament. So we've got the one you read in Mark. Um, 22 at the end there, kind of verses 36 to 39. And then there's um, uh, Mark 12. So, sorry, Matthew 22, which you read, Mark 12 and Luke in Luke 10. And they're all fairly similar. There's some, there's some slight differences there that are, are informative. But, yeah, they point back to Deuteronomy. Now, the interesting thing about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is just – this is probably the book of the – Old Testament that has more color in it. You know, I, everything I notes I take are there's so much color and and there's a ton of it in here. And I, if I was just to read you a couple of the the salient pieces from this, um, like you mentioned from Deuteronomy six, right? This idea of is it a commandment? And then put in put in different language. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy ten, verse twelve to 16. This is the NRSV that I'm reading from. Um, So know, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with uh, your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. 
Although heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to the Lord your God, the earth is the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart in love on your ancestors alone and chose them. Chose you, pardon me, chose you, their descendants after them, out of all the peoples, as it is today. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart, and do not be stubborn. And then if you flip to um, chapter 30, verse 6 and 7, I'm just going to read to verse 6. It's the same theme. But it's this stuff that just keeps recurring and recurring and recurring. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. This interesting idea, you know, we think of the covenant and circumcision, but it's circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And so you're seeing both, you know, in both of those sections there, there's this tie-in with living rightly. You're doing these things in order to be, to live rightly or to live even, right? Um, so I think on the one hand, um, oh, oh, hold on, there's, there's another one. I want to read one more. So I know I'm skipping around here in Deuteronomy, but I'm going to tie this together. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. It was not because you were more numerous than any other people that the Lord set his heart on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. So I guess um, on the one hand, when you ask the question, is it a command? I think everything in here feels like, like, like a command. But the idea when we take the notion that love is required in a relationship, that love is mandated, that love must be present – and that that love is to be inclusive of everything we do. We are to love God entirely. The idea to come to that fresh makes no sense at all. And really, if you take the context here, these people aren't coming to this fresh, right? So it's talking about, um, you know, you and your descendants, and God didn't love you because you were the greatest or any of these other things. But it's going back into, in, in time. It's looking at an, at a pre-existing relationship, right? This long relationship where God has been, literally has been God. God has kind of, you know, performed these, uh, these um, really significant, miraculous sort of um, interventions on behalf of the Israelites when they were in Egypt. And uh, uh, God has, um, you know, um, I'm not sure where we are. In Deuteronomy 6, I think we're still not in the land yet. I think that's coming up in... Um, uh, help me out. In Joshua, I believe. But in any event, um, God has done all of these things. There is a long and established relationship, and God is saying... The nature of that relationship is to be characterized by this. So it's really, it's really interesting to me when we look at this as people who, uh, you, you know, if you're, if you're presenting or where I hear Christians presenting this sort of thing to non-Christians or even thinking about it themselves, it's almost as though they're trying to conjure up some sort of emotional response or some, and this is, this is again why I think it's being switched over into this sort of, uh, uh, focus on the will and an effort of, you know, the will to act 
you know, act towards God in this way. And then you hear things like uh, obedience is God's love language. You hear all these, all these silly things that are contortions because there's no way that people can make it work just the way it sounds. It just doesn't work that way. Right? We don't have that ability. Nowhere in our, in our existence does someone say, you know, love this person and it happens. And yet with God, it's supposed to happen. And I think, I think honestly, if, if, if it was going to work in the following way, which is, oh, well, the Holy Spirit takes care of that for us, then you'd see it. You'd see it. It would, it would be the number one easiest and best and fastest indicator that a person is a Christian. Because they love God rightly. And how does that happen? God's facilitating that. And is that obvious? You bet it is. Yeah, I think the admonition to me would be, well, you're seeking to to know and feel God's presence. So to do that, you need to be following his commandments, whether you feel like it or not. And, you know, the feelings will come later. So, you know, are you doing everything that's commanded? You know, do you love God? Okay, well, I'll try to, but I see where I see your point. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 what we're doing really when we're looking at this as a literal command to someone who is not within a pre-existing, and and I think what, what what's happening in Deuteronomy six is there's a clarification. So let's 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 look at this a little more closely, right? I'll start at Deuteronomy six one. Now, this is the commandment, the statute. And the ordinances that the Lord your God charges me to teach you to observe in the land that you're about to cross into and occupy. Okay, so I'm, I'm right about that. We're about to do that, but we haven't done that yet. So that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I'm commanding you so that your days may be long. Hear, O Israel, and observe it diligently that, you, that it may go well with you. And so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord your God of your ancestors has promised you. And then there's a the part that you read, verses 4 and 5, right? Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep the words that I'm commanding you today in your heart. That's 4, 5, and 6 there. Um, you know, if you look through, there are three instances in chapter 6 alone where we have this idea of fear, fear of the Lord. And I think what we need to understand is, to the best that I am aware, this idea of fearing uh, God, the fearing the divinity, is a, is a very common and prevalent notion. It's, it's sort of a standard way of humans interacting with the divine, so you would not have any difference, say, with um, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians, that there would be a fear, right? And that fear needn't be sort of this um, – I, 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 how should I say this? It, it might well be fear as in I'm afraid. It could also be fear in the sense of awe or overwhelmedness or, or something like that, right? But I don't but, think – I think it's the previous one that's most often – it's it's this idea of stand back a little bit because this is serious stuff. This is God. Yeah. Which is fascinating. This this might take us on a tangent and over our time. But we had a uh, we had some input from one of our listeners. Anna was asking in a, in an email was raising this idea. I don't know if it fits in here. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on it. 
was was the idea of can we overstep our bounds with God? Does that fit in here? Well, it might. It might. Like I, I'm thinking about. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm reflecting on. Or say well, no, and we'll, we'll bring. And I'll bring it up another time. Well, I don't. I don't know that that it necessarily does. I guess. I, uh, let's let's try it out though. Let's just say, or I would say, I guess that. Um, in terms of experiencing God, maybe overstepping could mean interpreting something to mean one thing when it does not seem likely that it means that. I think she was raising it in the way of, can we overstep our bounds with the way that we relate to God because of who God is? And I was tying that in with this idea that God is to be feared and, you know, that we are to... Oh, that's huge, John. Stay at a distance. That's huge because remember, I mean, no, that's how I'm, that's how I'm tying. That's, that's the tie in that I saw. I mean, and this is one of the, did I say that better that time? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I totally get that. So on, in terms of a degree of intimacy, no, you can't. I mean, because if you look at, at even, uh, if you look at the disciples prayer, I mean, we call it the Lord's prayer, but I mean, I don't know. Why do we call it the Lord's prayer? It's Jesus wasn't, uh, you know, the disciples said, teach us to pray. And so this is the, the, the prayer that the disciples have been taught. It's the disciples' prayer. You know, you know, our Father. So it begins right away with God as Father, right? The very first thing is Father. That's, you're, you're not going to see a lot of that. You're not going to see, there's not a lot of distance with Father, right? Not in the sense that we see in the Old Testament. There's the Old Testament, there's this notion of dis- distance, God being holy, God being other, and needing to be set apart. In the New Testament, we see, you know, praying. Pray to whom? To your Father, to your Father in heaven, right? A very different notion. This is not the notion of sovereign, of holy sovereign. God has not become less sovereign. But the breadth of who God is, particularly in relationship to us as human beings, is expanded on greatly by Jesus, which is we, we have to take very seriously. You know, and then you see Jesus in the New Testament, these references to Abba, literally Daddy. You know, and Brennan Manning has, has, has done a wonderful job, I think, with so much of this, right? You know, Abba's Child is one of his books, uh, The Furious Longing of God. Um, just some really good stuff. So no, I don't think that you can go, you can, you can be, in other words, too close. You know, um, we could, we could talk about, um, yeah, maybe there's some more we can talk about in there, but in that regard, right? Seeing God as, as parent or father, seeing yourself as child, as daughter and son, there is no way I think to be too, too close there. So, but, so put this in an Old Testament context, though. In an well, Old Testament context, did they have the notion of God as Father? I don't think so. Let, I mean, I can I can do a search right now. I can do an accordance search and see. It was what just we something find. that popped into my head of like, well, but I, you see, I think I. Th- but let's let's stick in Deuteronomy six, and let me just try and draw out attention here. There's the tension between the standard ancient Near Eastern formulation between, uh, that characterizes the relationship between humanity and divinity. Fear God. You know, 
In other words, God is God is holy. God is separate. God is God is uh, at at a distance, etc. And then you have this this notion of love. Now, to the best that I know, and uh, and it would be very interesting to 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 dig around in this a little bit more. To the best that I'm aware, and I'm not. This is not my other area of scholarship. So I, you know, I'm speaking from some good general knowledge, but not specific knowledge. This doesn't happen anywhere else in the ancient Near East. I have, I have no sense that the notion of loving God, if it's even mentioned, is mentioned anywhere near with, with the, the, the degree of sort of repetition and intensity that it's um, laid out in the Old Testament, right? And so you've got this emphasis on fearing God. But here in Deuteronomy, you also have this emphasis on loving God, right? You're fearing God and you're loving God at the same time. So... Um, that for me is the precursor of what we're seeing more about who God is. We're seeing this kind of way in which, yeah, God fits in with the ancient Near Eastern notions of divinity. If God didn't, then I think the Israelites, uh, the Judeans would have had an, an awfully difficult time accepting who God is, right? God's not going to sort of come uh, approach us and, and expect that we can sort of take ourselves out of our context completely in order to relate to God. God it's quite the opposite. God comes and meets us where we're at. And we know that theologically, we know that experientially, and, and, you know, no wonder, historically, it's exactly the same thing. And yet there's this progress, there's this movement towards God becoming more and more um, revealed to us. And that whole, the whole experience of the incarnation with Jesus, I mean, bam, that, that's, that's, that's a huge sense in which that happens. And so that the model that Jesus presents as, you know, when you pray— Pray to your father. He is that. And when you speak to him, I mean, I speak to him as Abba. He is your Abba as well. And the degree of intimacy and closeness, all of that comes right back around full circle to this question of what does it mean to be, to be commanded to love God? It, it, that is the commandment of love to one who is already in love. So the command of the beloved towards the one that they love. The so, lover towards the beloved, I guess, is what it is. So, so is is command even the right word? I guess I'm questioning that word. Is it uh, command? I think of a command as as something a sovereign would say to a servant, or a a, a dog owner would say to his dog. You know, do this. <laughs> but I don't think of command in a love relationship. Like it almost doesn't seem to fit well i guess um uh, i've heard it expressed as uh, it's it is a command in the poetic sense of the word it is uh, the fulfillment of the relational desire you know the command could be stated I, I would wonder how eugene peterson puts it in the message but it seems to me the command could well be put as let your love abound thoroughly for me and love yourself you know love yourself and love your neighbor love yourself rightly and love your neighbor likewise but this idea of let that love which is there flourish and again of course you know he's <laughs> the, the the new testamental context in the gospels jesus every time he's talking about this he, he's, he's, he's talking to the religious leaders, right? He's talking to people 
who are already in the community. They are already part of the people that God has chosen to relate to. They are people who already are in the in crowd. And whether they do it or not, whether they get it really or not, um, that's clearly at issue. But it's not as though this message is being taken to people who do not, who are not Israelites, who are not uh, Jews, who do not understand, who do not have this long history, right, with God. And, and part of that, and the, the whole historical piece is really important because it's saying, it's indicating, hey, you know what? You can draw on all of this history. You can remember the acts of God. You can remember what it is for your ancestors to be in relationship with God. You can remember the things that God has done. The basis for this relationship, the basis for knowing what? That God is good. And that God, God's goodness is directed towards you as a community, towards you as individuals, and that that goodness equates to love. Right? That's what we're ultimately understanding. So I found it in the message, Deuteronomy 6. I don't know how this fits, though. So here's what it says. Deuteronomy 6. 6 starting verse 1, I'll read through 5. This is the commandment, the rules and regulations that God, your God, commanded me to teach you to live out in the land you're about to cross into to possess. This is so that you'll live in deep reverence before God lifelong, observing all his rules and regulations that I'm commanding you, you and your children and your grandchildren living good long lives. Listen obediently, Israel. Do what you're told so that you'll have a good life, a life of abundance and bounty, just as God promised in a land abounding in milk and honey. Attention, Israel. God, our God, God, the one and only. Love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that's in you. Love him with all you've got. Cool. Still sounds like commandments to me. Yeah, I think so. What happens when you go to Matthew 22? What does that sound like? I mean, I, it may sound the same thing. Say 22, 37, and 38, and 39. Matthew 22. 22 what? Mm, 37. Jesus said, well, so the, should I read the preceding verses? Sure, if you like. Okay, thir- starting in 34. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of the religious scholars spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, what command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to sit alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs everything in god's law and the prophets hangs from them i like that they're pegs yeah well i i guess maybe if i think about it in terms of the way you're presenting it maybe that this is not maybe the other way to see it is this is something to aspire to this is what your love relationship should look like Your love relationship should look like something that equates to a command to you to act in right ways. And that acts 
as a compelling force to all aspects of your personality and your personhood to become fully and firmly engaged in the relationship with God for the furtherance of God's kingdom. That's how I would paraphrase what the, the force of, this, of these texts is, what they mean. And I think, you know, to the, in this, to the degree that it sounds like a command, yeah, I think it is a command. It definitely is a command. Right, but it's got a like. Okay, this popped in my head. It's a command, but it's not. It's not so sterile. It's not a list of rules per se. It's not a. It's not the penal code. <laughs> it's it's no. It's it's not this list of prescriptive. Here are the twenty five things that you must do, and if you don't, you're going to jail. No. Yeah, that's right. It's it's really quite a, quite interesting. If you can summarize everything in these. You know, these two, well, three really, because you're loving yourself and loving your neighbor likewise. That's kind of more than, that's, that's, that's more, more like two, I think. But um, yeah, it, it's not like a list of things where you're having to check. It's constantly having to return to one source. And I guess that's the, the real emphasis that I would put on it is that um, I think that it's a good sign that things that a Christian's relationship with God on the basis of this command is uh, not quite on the rails. If we're always having to be checking what we're doing, (laughs) if you're always having to check your actions and check your intentions and check these things. I mean, one of the, I know we've had a common discussion about this a while back, but we read, uh, I can't remember his book. It's in my bedroom now. uh, So I can't see it on the shelf to, read the title um it's called uh, three free sins and it's it's this idea you oh, know coming Steve out of brown <laughs> yeah okay you know and it's coming out of luther this luther's idea once luther really understood the love of god and the grace of god he said something like you know sin and sin boldly in other words you're you're forgiven in a in a in a greater global sense the lo- the, the 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 effort of jesus on my behalf is more than sufficient for anything that I may um, wrongly do. And I guess I would want to contrast this with the idea that for me, I don't want to sin at all. Because sin is effectively, what does that mean? It means acting in a way that thwarts my relationship with God. Whether it's by something I do or fail to do something that I am aware of or something that I am not aware of at the time. In other words, when you're in a love relationship with someone, when you deeply love someone, you know that actions you take to thwart that relationship are ultimately very harmful to you because they put distance between you and the person that you love. And you don't want that. You never want that. In that type of a context, that's the context in which we we suddenly break loose from this idea of right and wrong, um, this these list of, of things we do wrong, this notion of sin and sinning and all these other things, so that we suddenly see ourselves as people who are deeply loved of God, 
people who are in a deep love relationship with God. And the last thing we want to do is put distance between ourselves and somebody that we love deeply. That's God. Does that shed any light? I think so. (laughs) Okay. It sheds. Now, this was a funny thought I had about 10 minutes ago. Not a funny thought, but these conversations that you and I have, they're so, we keep talking about Labrie and, Mm. but these, I think this conversation, and I think this is probably a good way to close. These conversations are very reminiscent of meal conversations. Mm. And I'm wondering that this just popped into my head. These conversations could be really frustrating to some people because they used to be really frustrating to me. <laughs> really? And, and, and the, the context there is, so in, at Swiss Labrie, there would be formal meal conversations. And so there would be usually one formal meal a day, sometimes two. And at a formal meal, one person would ask, ask a question and the facilitator and the rest of the table would discuss that topic for the duration of the meal. And I remember being so frustrated that at the end of the conversation, we didn't have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what I was realizing as we were talking here. I thought, you know, we may get to the end of this and I may not, quote, get an answer to the question that I've raised, but I'm totally okay with that now. It used to just drive huh. me crazy. And the, the, the other tie-in I think that, that came to me was something you said recently somewhere but it was the the importance of dialogue Mm. that that really there's there's so much that we can gain just from talking even Mm -hmm. if we don't arrive at you know the answer and three suggested life applications for everyone listening you know (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know that that's just i guess a little side encouragement to anyone out there that's that's saying you know you guys talk about a lot of stuff but you never like really quote answer the question yeah well hopefully sometimes we do sometimes we really do get to something conclusive but i would also i guess i'm wanting to posit that there is value well i find value hopefully others are too in these conversations that just kind of uh go all over the place yeah well good you know and i'll i'll chip in one more thing and just in terms of answers i think that I think there is no answer to this in the sense that the only way to answer the question of what does it mean to this, what does this command of God to love God mean is to invest yourself in a possible answer and see how that goes. You know, because the one thing that's very clear about this is that it's not an intellectual proposition. You're not called to believe in God. You're called to engage with God in a way that, that, you know, to, to love. And um, so I'm not really sure if there is an answer to this question that doesn't involve somebody taking a stand and saying, you know, um, either I'm not going to engage in that. I, that just sounds like foolishness to me. Or, you know, I'm going to do things. Uh, in, in, no, it's, it's not about emotions. Emotions are wrong. Uh, or they just don't apply in this situation if, if they're not wrong. Or, you know, okay, Greg, I'll, I'll give it a shot according to what you're, what you're saying. And maybe, of course, we haven't given enough information to, for people to actually be able to kind of get traction on that. Well, how exactly would I do that then? But I guess a, a lot of this, again, is living through this, right? And you and I have talked before about people who've 
take a very different approach and would take a Kyle Eidelman not a fan approach. And, um, you know, for anybody who's going through this, I guess my question would be, how's it working out for you? You know, and we know Darren Hufford on the back of his book talking about people, Christians who are miserable and frustrated. And um, I guess I guess what I'd propose is my Christianity before didn't work, right? When I was a Christian before, I gave up Christianity and was an agnostic for seven years. And a absolutely crucial and key to re-embracing Christianity was this view. So I'm telling you, at least from my perspective, it does work and it works a whole lot better than the other, which didn't work. And, um, you know, give it a thought, weigh it up in terms of what it's, what, you know, what the biblical texts are saying. And then ultimately, I guess people have to decide what they're going to do. And tell us what you think. Send us yeah. an email, put a comment yeah. on the blog. That'd be super cool. Take the survey. we got a new survey, untanglingchristianity.com slash survey so (laughs) a little sneak a little plug in here at the end (laughs) so if if you're not into blog comments you don't want to send us an email but you have some ideas about our feelings positive or negative we want to know so submit them there we'd love to hear from you Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 53. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.